0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free. Right now, join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Hey, guys. It's Friday, so it's bonus time. Instead of a bonus meditation, though, this week we're going to bring you an episode of of the podcast, Meditative Story. You may have heard about this podcast. It's really good. Uh, And the episode we're going to drop here is my episode. In this episode, I tell a personal story about a father-son trip I went on with my son, Alexander, when he was four years old, and how this trip really changed our relationship. If you're not familiar with Meditative Story, as I said, it's a really good show. It combines immersive storytelling with mindfulness prompts embedded right into the narrative, all with... A lot of really good music woven right into it. The show has been winning awards of late and is definitely worth checking out. I really like the team over at Meditative Story. I'm glad we're developing a closer relationship. They tell us that many of their listeners use the 10% Happier app, and uh, we've heard that many people in TPH land are fans of Meditative Story. So I hope you enjoy this episode. When Bianca and I first had Alexander, I remember there being a whole tsunami of sentiment, both over email from my friends and on social media from people I didn't know, where we were being told and exhorted to enjoy every moment or cherish every moment. And I always wondered about that. Is this just... A kind of perfunctory thing that people say, or is it maybe based in some sort of remorse that they may feel about having let their kids' childhoods slip by without really taking it all in while it was happening?
1: Parenting is a roller coaster, steep climbs, full-on free falls, sharp turns. One moment you're filled with doubt and worry. The next, joy and delight. It just is this way. Today's storyteller, Dan Harris, is a broadcaster and journalist and the creator of the 10% Happier meditation app and podcast. In the story he's about to tell, Dan shares a candid look into his attempts to connect more with his son, Alexander. I'm Rohan, and I'll be your guide for a meditative story. So, right now, in this moment, what can you do to really be here? To help me be as present as possible for you, I'm feeling my feet on the ground. I'm aware of the temperature of the air on my skin. I know the movement in my face as I speak. What is it for you? Relaxing the body, letting the body breathe, your senses open, your mind open, meeting the world.
0: So things have been pretty edible around my house for a little while. My son, Alexander, is four and he's all about his mommy right now. Their bond is beautiful and tight... But that sometimes means it's really hard for me to break in. Because of the nature of our respective schedules, my wife, Bianca, spends more time with Alexander. I work very funny hours. I'm employed at ABC News, where I anchor Good Morning America on the weekends, which means I'm up at 3.45 in the morning, and once I've stretched, showered, and meditated, I sneak out of the apartment as quietly as possible so as to not wake Alexander and Bianca. And and then I take a quick car ride through the dark and often utterly silent city streets to the office. Those are my weekend mornings. And then during the week, I'm one of the co-anchors of Nightline, which means for several nights I stay up really late to anchor that show. Bianca is a highly trained physician, but she's not working right now. She had breast cancer a few years ago, and she's been taking a little time off. Thankfully, she's fine, but this situation does mean she spends a lot more time with Alexander than I do. Typically, in the morning on weekdays, I walk out into the living room disheveled an hour into Alexander's playtime with his mom before he heads off to school. Sometimes I'll catch them right in the middle of the often difficult routine of getting him ready for school. He's in preschool right now. Often, Alexander thoroughly rejects me. He won't look at me, he won't even say hello, and if I go over to him, he whines or he calls for his mommy and runs away. This, uh, as you might imagine, does not feel awesome first thing in the morning. The person I love the most in the world totally rejecting me. When I can get him to explain why, he'll tell me that he doesn't like that I have quote-unquote, crazy hair or that I smell. It feeds my overall sense of guilt that I'm not spending enough time with him. There are times when these interactions can make me sad or resentful, but on good mornings, if I go out into the living room and I sit quietly long enough, he will actually come over to me on his own. And on bad mornings, all I get is him reluctantly deigning to allow me to kiss him on the forehead. I'm not a big one for metaphysical claims, but Alexander is something of a miracle. We were told, Bianca and I, that it was a long shot that we would ever have a child. We went through IVF twice, in vitro fertilization, and on the second round, which we already knew was almost certainly going to be our last round, we got one egg. Everybody who goes through IVF is, of course, having fertility issues, but still, many of these people get eight to 12 eggs. So again, we got one, and they implanted it, and now we have this giant, blonde kid running around the house as a result. This is a huge deal for us, to have a kid. And I really, really love him. And I do feel guilt about the fact that I'm not around as much as I would like to be. I do my best at this. You know, we deliberately found an apartment that's seven blocks from my office, so I'm able to pop in and out and see him during the day. And it's also close to his school, so I do go pick him up when I can. Those school pickups are actually quite magical. He's often surprised and delighted to see me, and he'll run right over and give me a hug. Another thing I try to do is to organize regular father-son dates because I found that when it's just the two of us, he is much, much nicer to me. So it's not like I never see him, but I would love to see him more. I miss a lot of dinners at home and mornings and stuff like that. One of my colleagues made a joke recently. He referred to my parenting style as 10% around, which was kind of a funny joke, but it definitely stuck in my head. Am I spending enough time with him? And when I do see him, he's often so fixated on mommy that I'm persona non grata.
1: If you were to rate how present you are right now, what percentage would you score yourself? 10%? 50%? More? It can be a fun thing to do from time to time, and no need to give yourself a hard time if your score isn't so high. Right now... What would it be to grow your presence by 10%? Come back to your breath, the feeling of the buds or headset over your ears, the sensations of this moment.
0: So I decide, in consultation with my wife, to try to be a little bit more proactive and take Alexander on a father-son trip so that we can connect in a whole new way. I wonder what a change of scene will bring. I hesitate traveling with a then three-year-old. I worry he'll revolt at the idea of being away from mommy for a while, so I gingerly broach the subject with him. While he's playing with his toys at the dining room table one night, I say, What do you think, little man? Do you want to go up to Boston? Do you want to go up to Boston and see your grandparents? I grew up in Boston and my parents are still there. I ask him again, do you want to spend two nights, just you and daddy? And he says yes. I test him on this over the ensuing days and he consistently says yes, so I put it on the books. I buy us plane tickets and book us a room. I tell my parents to clear time in their schedules. As the trip approaches, I'm increasingly concerned that he's going to have a full-on temper tantrum when I pick him up and try to get him in the cab to the airport. What if he doesn't want to leave mommy? What if the entire trip is traumatic and awful for both of us? What if he won't let me put him to bed? I used to put him to bed when he was a baby, But ever since he's been able to speak, he's had a whole problematic sleep career. He will not let me put him to bed. His mom can put him to bed, his nanny can put him to bed, but not me. In fact, one time I arranged a night where both his mother and his nanny were out of the house, so I would be the only option. I remember he was sitting in the bath before bedtime, and after I'd finished shampooing him, it dawned on him that I was going to put him to bed. He started freaking out and, and whining in a way that suggested a, a full-on bout of crying, maybe in the offing. One of the cats happened to walk through the bathroom at that time. And I asked Alexander, would you be okay with Ruby putting you to bed? And he said, yes. I asked him why, and he said, because she's a girl. So there I was, second fiddle to Ruby. Ruby.
1: Can you imagine being there, a fly on the wall? See Dan slumped, his son adamant, the cat nonchalant.
0: We leave on a Sunday. I finish work, walk into our apartment, and he's in a great mood, all dressed up, hair combed and ready to go. I walk over to him and ask, are you ready? He answers in the affirmative enthusiastically, so I change out of my suit and call a car. We head to the airport, and I do my best to get him talking on the way about all the fun things we'll do in Boston. I put a heavy emphasis on ice cream. He's in a really good mood. He looks out the window, he laughs and enjoys himself. Once we're at the airport, he's a dream going through security. He insists, though, on riding on top of my Roley suitcase. This is hard on my aging body, carrying this little beast on my suitcase through the airport all day, but we're both having a really good time. We land in Boston and go to the hotel together. We head straight to the pool for a little bit after checking in, and then his grandparents show up and we eat dinner in our hotel room. It's a great time. And then the hour arrives where I'm going to have to put him to bed. I do have a strategy, though. There is no official bedtime, I tell him. Instead, we head out into the long carpeted hallways where it is game time. (laughs) I make him run wind sprints in his PJs for an indeterminate period. Occasionally, other guests walk out of their rooms and see what Alexander and I are doing, and they laugh at us. If I'm able to get him tired enough, I'm thinking, then he'll have no choice but to fall asleep. We have a whole set of games in the hallway where I run him up and down like a dog. He's loving it, giggling and squealing as I chase him. I am clearly winning here. We head to bed to read some books. I don't say anything about bedtime or going to sleep. We're just reading books here. And after just a few minutes, he crashes. I should say this kid generally is not a great sleeper. He wakes up all the time and screams in the middle of the night. But not tonight. Not on the boys' trip.
1: With Alexander deeply asleep, and Dan exhausted too, no doubt, how are your energy levels? If you want to raise them a little, try straightening the spine, opening the chest, raising the chin, letting the body lead the mind.
0: We spend the next day at Legoland, me, Alexander, and his grandmother. Six hours. I am bored out of my mind, but he is having a great time, and it feels great just to watch him go. That night, we have dinner at my parents' apartment. His uncle, my brother, who just happens to be in Boston that night, joins us. It's really sweet. Just my original nuclear family. Right here with my little son, who's being a really good kid, eating his dinner, a bagel with an egg on it. He dances while he eats, because that's what he does when he's happy. Everybody laughs, and he says a lot of funny, cute things. The collective admiration and adoration of my family, all focused on my little boy, is really meaningful for me. After dinner, we head back to our hotel room. He runs more wind sprints in the hallway, and again sleeps through the night. On our last day, we head to the New England Aquarium. We look at all the fish. Alexander's attention span is limited, so we move very quickly from penguins to eels to sharks. He seems highly motivated to get me into the gift shop so he can get a treat. When we get back on the plane to head home, Alexander is great. He looks out the window the whole time, clutching the new stuffed animal I got him, As somebody who's been meditating for nearly a decade now, I've had many moments during this trip where I'm really glad to have the training because I'm able to just tune in to how, for lack of a less cheesy word, how sweet this experience is. I love this kid. Obviously, every parent loves their child, but especially given the fact that I'm an older dad, I'm 47, and given everything Bianca and I went through to get this kid, This whole situation is especially poignant. When Bianca and I first had Alexander, I remember there being a whole tsunami of sentiment, both over email from my friends and on social media from people I didn't know, where we were being told and exhorted to enjoy every moment or cherish every moment. And I always wondered about that. Is this just a kind of perfunctory thing that people say? Or is it maybe based on some sort of remorse that they may feel about having let their kid's childhoods slip by without really taking it all in while it was happening? One of the many things meditation is designed to do is to wake you up and to help you be right here wherever you happen to be. Throughout the course of my jaunt with my son, There are a lot of little snapshots in my mind of him looking out the window as the plane flew, or watching him look at the penguins in the aquarium, or fiddle with Legos at Legoland, or dance around bagel in hand while my family laughs. And in all of these moments, I was really able to do the opposite of zoning out. I was able to zone in And in my experience, that really amplifies the awesomeness quotient immeasurably. The self-awareness that I've been able to generate, that anybody can generate through meditation, allows me to notice and accentuate joy. And it can provoke what I consider to be healthy reflection about the fact, the inarguable fact, that these moments are fleeting. So it's best not to waste them by reflexively reaching for my iPhone or something.
1: In this world of distractions, our minds have become so well-trained to jump from one thing to another. You might even feel that pull right now. If so, can you rest and acknowledge how Dan's story is making you feel, letting any enjoyment or appreciation... Sink in.
0: I should say, there are a few moments during our trip where Alexander says he misses mommy. It hurts my feelings a bit, but I just do a version of what we're told to do during meditation— Rather than denying or trying to paper over that his feelings exist, I get him to tune into himself. I ask him, how does missing mommy make you feel? Sad? And if he says yes, which he usually does, I say, it's okay to feel sad, I get it, but we're going to see her very soon, and in the meantime, we're going to have fun. Generally speaking, this works like a charm. When we finally get home and ride the elevator up to our apartment— I prepare to tell his mother about what an amazing job Alexander did. Within minutes, though, pretty much as soon as he's around his mother again, he has a temper tantrum. Not at me. It's directed quite squarely at her. This speaks, in my view, to the impenetrable bond he has with her, and it actually makes me feel like this whole dynamic among the three of us is less about me and more about the fact that many children simply have intense relationships with their mothers and you know what I think it's great that they have this bond it's now clear that there's nothing for me to feel jealous or resentful about clearly the move here is just for me to make time for Alexander and I to interact one-on-one so we can build our own relationship and I think our boys trip really helped on that front Interrupting the patterns, the grooves in our everyday lives created new space for us to relate to one another differently. We're building our own repertoire of private jokes and secret memories, mostly involving my allowing him to have more chocolate than mommy does. So I've decided that I'm going to do it again. We're already talking about going down to Florida together. I've also learned my lesson about uh, crazy hair in the mornings. Now when I wake up, Many days I put water in my hair so I look better for him. That has also helped. Oh, and the other day, he told me that he has now decided that Daddy is henceforth allowed to put him to bed. So, I'm finally on par with our cat, Ruby.
1: We've reached the end of Dan's story. In just a moment, I'll guide you through a closing meditation. Parenting is hard. Given that my own eldest child, a boy, is pretty much the same age as Alexander, there's a lot that I recognise in Dan's story. The importance of stepping out of everyday routines in order to connect. But of all the themes, the one that stands out the most for me is the simple power of time spent together. When there's disconnection, we solve it by connecting, letting time and attention do their work. Attention and connection are, in their own way, the heart of meditation. So since you're here, why not join me in a short meditation inspired by Dan's story. It'll be in two parts, and we'll start here, just as you are. Whatever position your body is in, if you're moving or still, take a breath. Take two. Take as many as you want. If it's been one of those days, why not sigh? Letting the sound drain away any tension that you might have been holding. And in the first part of this meditation, the idea is to just rest your attention with the body. No need to fixate on any area in particular. Instead, just resting, being aware of the body as a whole. Giving it your attention. Connecting. Letting the whole body, however it is, fill your awareness, soaking up your attention. As you do so, there will be flickers away from your connection with the body. Times when particular sensations, thoughts, feelings come in and take over. As with Dan, these might include doubt, judgement, boredom, worry, tiredness. It's okay. Whenever you notice your connection with your overall sense of the body break, just come back and start again. Bringing the attention back. Reconnecting. Okay. Now that you're hopefully feeling a bit more grounded, let's move into the second part of the meditation. What I'd like you to do is to bring someone to mind that you wish you could spend more time with. For Dan, it was his son. For me, it's my eldest sister. Who is it for you? There's no right answer, but in my experience, the first person you think of is probably the best person to go with. If you're a visual person, you can picture an image of them. But if, like me, you don't have too much of a visual mind, Just recall something about them, an event, a feeling, a story, an image without pictures. Whatever helps bring them to mind. Whatever helps bring them into your awareness. And this is where we'll rest. Keeping your person in mind, spending time with the image of them. It might feel totally contrived, totally fake. That's okay. It can be like that sometimes. Just do it anyway, bringing to mind the person you wish you could spend more time with and keeping them in awareness as much as you can. As you do this, all sorts of thoughts may come up, thoughts of regret, self-judgment, doubt, thoughts of delight, happiness and joy as you feel touched by them. They're all okay. We do the best we can, you know. Let this gentle attention towards your dear person forge a real sense of connection. They might be far away, they might be in the next room. You might have seen them just five minutes ago, or it could have been decades. It's all okay. Your body relaxed. Your breathing gentle. Your special person in mind. filling your mind. Feeling the charge between you. Trusting the quality of your wish to spend more time with them. Deepening your connection. Just as Dan did with Alexander. Meditative Story is a Wait What original in partnership with Thrive Global. The show is produced at the studio inside SY Partners in New York. Our executive producers are Devon Triff, June Cohen, Ariana Huffington and Dan Katz. Our producer is Sabrina Farhi. Our supervising producer is Jai Punjabi. Our curator is Carrie Goldstein. Original music and sound design is by the Holiday Brothers. Mixing and mastering by Brian Pugh. Special thanks to Anne Sachs, Juliana Stone, Summer Matice, Monica Lee, Madison Odenborg, Lindsay Benoit O'Connell, Libby Duke, Smriti Sinha, and Sarah Sandman. And I'm Rohan Gunatilaka, creator of the Buddhify Meditation app, and your host. Visit meditativestory.com to find the transcript for this episode.
0: Thanks again to the folks over at Meditative Story. Don't forget to go check them out wherever you get your podcasts. One more thing before I let you go. If you're a longtime listener, you've heard me talk many, many times about our companion meditation app. You might even be a little sick of it. So you might ask, why does Harris keep talking about this? If I want to meditate, can I just go on YouTube and search for a guided meditation for free or sit in silence on my own or use another app? Well, first of all, yes to all of that. You can do all of those things. There are many different ways to learn how to meditate, and if you've already found one or more ways that works for you, that's great. Keep going with it. However, I do think there's something special, if I do say so myself, about the relationship between what we do here on the podcast, interviewing world-renowned experts, getting their take on issues that impact our minds on a day-to-day basis, and the app where we share practices specifically chosen to help you apply the lessons you learn here on the podcast. There's a kind of deliberate symbiosis. In our conversation a few weeks ago, the meditation teacher, Sabine Selassie, hit on something key about this relationship. Let me just play you a quick quote from her.
1: I'm a big proponent of what I would call integrating study and practice. So combined with our practice are what we call insights. That's why this tradition is called insight, is these aha moments And you're so great at articulating that and bringing people on to kind of discuss that. Like, what is it that we're learning? And then how do we kind of reincorporate that back into the practice?
0: I will be honest. It makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable hearing Seb praise my interview skills. She may or may not be right about that. But what I do think she articulates brilliantly is why we're so gung-ho about the aforementioned symbiosis between the work we do here on the podcast and the work that we do over on the app. Practice and study work best in concert because you're working several parts of the mind at once. That's how I learned from my teachers, you know, engaging my prefrontal cortex through reading books or articles or having conversations. Many of those articles and books were recommended or sent directly to me by Seb. But then also doing the practices that help me sort of integrate the wisdom into deeper parts of my mind and my body. And that's really the experience we're striving to bring you here at 10% Happier, the wisdom of experts explained in a relatable way alongside practices that help you apply what you've learned. So I encourage you to give it a try by downloading the 10% Happier app for free wherever you get your apps. Uh, So end of pitch, but thanks for listening. We'll see you back here on Monday for a brand new episode with the NBA star Chris Bosch. I'm not much of a sports fan, but I was really blown away by chris he has a lot of incredibly useful things to say about uh, keeping your ego in check and about letting go he's got quite a story about letting go in his own life and career so that's coming up on monday if you like 10 Percent happier and i hope you do uh, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts prime members can listen ad free on amazon music Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.
1: If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim.
0: You know, with your Delta Sky Miles business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in
1: Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone, check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card
0: member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amic slash you know business.
1: Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the Outer Lands. There's no crime in Pura.